It's another Thursday night, and I am SK Barrett, your host for Real Monsters. Joining me, if I don't choke on my last bite of pizza, <laughs> is the lovely and talented Wes Hobrick. Hello, hello, hello. I do apologize if there are any issues tonight. My Skype keeps crashing on the computer. You know what? Uh, it just occurred to me. There was a Windows update that I didn't want that went through last night. I oh. wonder if that is what did it. Mm, they're punishing you for not updating. Probably. <laughs> Absolutely, positively just horrible. Uh, but, yeah, and we are here on a uh, another, well, almost anniversary of an infamous crime. Um, yeah, you're talking really about the... Yeah, you're talking about the wee hours of November 15th, 60 years ago, when what we will be talking about um, happening happened. So, yeah. Yep. Uh, so, uh, let's, you know, it's not, this is not the worst show that we've done before, but I'm going to go ahead and throw the warning up just in case. Mm, um, good idea. Uh, this is... Um, this is <laughs> not for kids. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yep. We don't have. We have some crime scene photos that are could be considered graphic, and we will talk about some uh, pretty nasty shit. So if you don't like that stuff, what the hell are you doing here? Go somewhere else. Go watch Disney Plus or some something like that. <laughs> you get your cultural warnings off of that. That's but, right. Yeah. They have their own um, warnings. Yeah. Hi, Michelle. Um, we were briefly talking in the chat on the Real Monsters Facebook page. Uh, Michelle had some interesting things to say, but yeah. Yeah. Um, All right, so do we, have, not... do we have any history besides what we're actually going to talk about? Oh, pff, just a few interesting things um, on the page. I don't know if people saw this, but a uh, up around Chicago, actually, Kim Fox, the uh, district attorney that kind of botched the whole Jesse Smollett thing and botched took a lot is, of heat for botch it. Botch is a very generous term. Yeah. Um, I am paid off a seems generous. a little more accurate. <laughs> but um, at any rate, up in her office, up around Cook County, they just swore in a therapy dog to um, help child victims of sexual assault, specifically, which I thought was pretty cool. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, I think so, too. Most definitely. Um, let's see. There was an Alabama man got $10 million after... It, well, his family got $10 million after his death at being left in a jail cell. They apparently drugged this poor guy around when he was complaining of um, some issues with his neck, drug him from cell to cell. So it's horrible. Until he but, died. Yeah, basically. And then you have the uh, woman out in California got a bucket of hot diarrhea dumped on her head. Uh yeah. So was that included in her travel package? Or did she pay extra for that? I don't know. I want the full California know. experience. Yeah. Hey, basically. And I had to label that one on the page, not satire, just so people know. Yeah. Um, 
It's so hard to tell these days. Yeah, and I'm not even sure what exactly you would charge that guy with. And if he would, if it oh, were that's spit, it. Like, that's uh, that could be considered reckless endangerment and assault. Yeah, I was just thinking that if he were to spit on a um, officer, they would charge him with assault. So, um, but yeah, I mean. Yeah, it seems things are getting pretty absurd out there in quite a lot of areas. And that is really all I had in the way of news for right now. So Good, because we got plenty to go off of here. We do. We definitely do. Um, oh, Michelle says in the chat somewhere I had some legal documents. Um, she had a really interesting post on the page about the clutters. Yeah. Yeah, fascinating stuff. Just going for that to read it. Um, let's see. Worked at the Garden City Telegram newspaper for a time and actually lived within sight of the house for a while. So that's pretty interesting because the house out there where the four Clutter family members were murdered is still standing. They actually uh, built the thing about, I think, 11 years before um, the yeah crime. and the the uh the police department there in garden city has their own article about the this case mm-hmm. yeah i mean they have uh, quite a lot about it and you know it's interesting because there's a lot of artifacts that stretch pretty far out west with it um the vegas las vegas pd was very uh um influential in how Perry Smith and Dick Hickok were ultimately caught. So, um, well, they, let's let's dive into this shit. It sounds pretty fun. Well, not fun, it, but you know <laughs> what I mean. Well, you know, I think it, it's interesting how it um, sort of affected the psyche of um, the American people. It, it, when yeah. you look at it, it's really the first home invasion that was. Um, caught in i guess you could say amplified by mass media right and um you know i just sort of went from there people got scared and they got more and more scared as the years go on with this and it's interesting because i think the um, home invasions kind of get more brutal with how it's been covered too um michael stone who we've talked quite a bit about on this show the forensic psychiatrist with the 22-point scale of evil. He um, was talking a bit about Hickok and Smith and how, like we were saying, their crime was kind of subdued, especially when you compare it to the 2007 Pettit home invasion out in Connecticut. Um, Dr. Stephen Pettit, his house was invaded by um, two guys, like in Holcomb, Kansas, um, and they ultimately, they knocked the doctor unconscious. They wow. forced his wife to withdraw 15K from their bank account. Then they brutally raped her and the 11-year-old daughter before setting them and the house on fire. Jesus. So. Couldn't you call Velisca a home invasion? Um, I would suppose so, although... I guess kind of when I think of home invasion, it's more uh, money. It revolves more around okay, a robbery okay. motive. Gotcha. But I mean, maybe I'm wrong in saying that. But uh, no, I, you know. I think 
I think uh, I think there's some accuracy to that statement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, when I do home invasions, that's how that's why I do it. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, um, I'll let it the, out later. <laughs> the <laughs> uh, the clutter family out there in western Kansas, because that's where we're talking about talking about roughly uh, 70 miles from uh, the Colorado border. And I think I oh, put man, in a is... map for our graphics. I, you did not. Oh, really? Yeah. Where oh, the hell's the map? It. I love maps. <laughs> My apologies there. I thought, Oh, I you know what? You, you did. Somehow it didn't show up in the carousel. Oh, excuse me. Oh, it sucks. I, I'll, uh, I'll get that ready. Oh, it doesn't want to show. It's weird. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we're uh, talking about that. That whole um, batch that you sent, it just doesn't want to open it up. It didn't? It doesn't want to open up. Uh, okay. Um, well, we're talking about that close to Colorado and also close to uh, Oklahoma. So the southwest part of the state, as we were saying. Get, yeah, I'll get my own uh, image of, the, of a map okay. up there. I think it's good to see. Yeah. And, uh, the clutters, they, they were very active in the community out there. Um, Herb Clutter, he was 45, and his wife Bonnie was also 45. And then they had um, several kids although only two were home at the time of the murder they had one who was studying uh, nursing in kansas city so on the other side of the state okay and then they had a um, another one who had moved away as well but was would visit as often as she could um you know herb he uh, made his name as a farmer as a philanthropist he was very involved in building the uh, method the newer methodist church at the time in nearby garden city um and that interestingly also ties into um, how fortunate they were with the investigators on this case which we'll um, oh, get yeah. to yeah we'll get to that um, in a bit yeah and herb also had experience and was respected actually out in um, washington dc where he did something with the uh, federal government and farming. I don't be, I don't think it was Department of Ag, but it was something that was, you know, allied to those sorts of okay. purposes in helping the policymakers out there. Um, you know, the family was known for being relatively normal, although Bonnie had her issues of what Herb called spells. Um, you know, I don't think it was anything Depression or something like that. Depression, anxiety. Yeah. I, I would hate to call it, you know, hysteria, but that might have still been what they would have called it back then. Um, but I mean, she was hospitalized a couple of times for it. But as far as I could tell, it was nothing really um, major with it. Just something she would get from time to time. But. Yeah, and that, you know, it's the Clutter family. They're really the all-American sort of family out here in a town that only had a um, 
population of, I think it was only about 100 at the time, because Holcomb was unincorporated back then. Um, it was known for, you know, this sort of gravel drives, a place where um, everybody keeps their doors unlocked because you really have, you know, nothing to fear in that sort of place where everybody knows their neighbors. But um, then comes along these two guys, Richard Eugene Hickok, born 1932, Kansas City, into a um, family that they weren't really poor, but they weren't really middle class. They kind of rode that sort of line there, yeah, you could say. Um, and they had a, fam a um, farm out in Edgerton, Kansas, that would later become a focus of the uh the investigation as it were of a search warrant in particular but um you know it was while he was behind bars that he was told by a another inmate that this guy this um herb clutter had a safe on his farm and he kept around ten thousand dollars in it and you look at some oh, of these other rumors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you look at some of these other sources and they basically say that Hickok was badgering this guy because it, you know, it had me wondering, considering they only found about $50 in that house. Yeah. Um, it had me wonder how this guy who, as Michelle says in the chat was a former farmhand of herb clutters. Right. Could get it so wrong in saying, oh, he has $10,000, but they only find 50 in the house. That's a pretty big disparity, you know? Well, you ever play Telegraph? This is true. I, I mean, mean, this is true, but it does kind of eliminate um, some spots in that sort of chain when you have a guy who worked there. Yeah, but he might have heard that rumor before he worked for them. Well, you know, yeah, I suppose um, it, it could, or or he. There, I mean, there's there's several explanations. One is he he exaggerated it to get him the guy off his ass over this, right? Leave me alone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Shut up, basically. Yeah. yeah. Tell him a story, and he'll leave you alone, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, and he'll finally just be quiet about it. Right. Um, um, the other is is that maybe he ran across other farmhands who had also worked there, and and that was a rumor going around amongst the transit transitory farmhands, because a lot of them did move from farm to farm. You mm -hmm. know, like they they still do this today for planting and picking and and different mm -hmm. different tasks. Uh, in agriculture and that's yeah michelle said that um herb was he was known to use checks for everything um that part's interesting you know another thing i was wondering with that you had you know these it was very common practice in the great depression not to put money in banks yes exactly um i i wonder how many farms around that area where maybe that was still something popular that people would do you know to not use banks mm -hmm. oh yeah i absolutely true um you know my grandparents 
all went through the depression and they were you know by the time i came along they were all used to banks again but there was definitely a, a kind of a you know there there was this dichotomy this 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 tension between you know banks will keep our money safe and also mm -hmm. we don't trust them <laughs> right yeah uh, and you know what if there's a failure or what right. have you again what if there's a repeat of the 1930s right so but, there, um, so it was a it was a real challenge for people of that era to you know to fully trust banks and some people really did never get over it some people never got over the things that they went through in the depression you know you'd see mm -hmm. and a lot of a lot of hoarding came out of that oh yeah i mean mattress Hoard. money not just not just money about. but weird shit like jars and lids and boxes and you know just weird shit i mean my mom would do that mm -hmm. like egg cartons and shit you know that she would say it was going to be for some creative project only she never did the creative project so they just piled up oh absolutely and you know this guy um, that hickok was using as a source and plumbing for information floyd wells was the name i was just flipping through the rest of my notes yeah he was actually a farmhand when they built the house on that land. so um 1948 and apparently he said that while um, they were building that, he saw Herb pay for lumber with large bills and several of them. Which... Well, yeah, that doesn't mean he keeps it around, obviously. You know, I mean, looking at it from our distance, we go, well, he knew this order was coming. Mm -hmm. So he probably went to the bank and got the money. Yeah. That doesn't oh, mean absolutely. he just went inside and dug into his you know, safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just go get some cash from the bank to pay the contractors. Right. As it were. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you know, and as they were talking more and more about that, and they brought Perry Smith in on this, Hickok apparently told him that they were going to use any cash proceeds for a deep-sea fishing boat in South America. <laughs> Um, although, you know, it's interesting how far they got, but we'll get to that as well um, after the crime. You know, I think that Hickok honestly has the more interesting history okay. out of him and Perry Smith with these guys, because he, um, like it, we were talking a bit about his family background there, he was known as a um, decent kid. When he was growing up, for most of it, he was you know a decent athlete, good student. People yeah. liked him. But then when he was 19, he was in a car accident. Head trauma. Tell me it was yes. head trauma. It was head trauma. Damn it. There uh, it goes again. Yeah. There it is reappearing. And in fact, yeah. when he um, was in this accident, his car flipped. And he damn near drowned in a puddle, too. Wow on top of it but um yeah his family were saying you know if you look at it just the way like his eyes the way that they were set you could see it but they also talked a lot about his personality changing 
to where is, he was sinking. Yeah, and this is a common thing with head trauma. It's not all regarding Henry shit. You know, you don't go from a... In fact, I would say most head injury uh, victims don't go from an asshole to a super nice, gentle person. It tends to go the other way, where mm-hmm. people get angry and violent. Yeah, and I think that that is really shown with on Hickok, the more that we look at him with that. Um, and it was actually something that the shrink who examined him after all this was looking at uh, pretty in-depth. But, yeah, right after that happened, he starts drinking more. He starts um, womanizing more. And, he, in fact, he goes through three wives in his young life. I mean, wow. you're talking about a guy who, you know, was executed not long after the crime in his 30s, really. That he goes through three wives, he goes through several jobs, and he ultimately sinks into um, check kiting and other petty crime. Um, yeah, it's you know really, really it's really amazing in a from a you know distant perspective the kinds of changes that can take place from a from a brain injury. Mm-hmm. It's just astonishing, really, how that wiring can get so fucked up. Just like mm-hmm. that, boom. It's oh, a different absolutely. person. I mean, it really is. I'm sorry, this YouTube is having an issue, too, where it's not letting me type anything in the comments. So oh, I'm block, trying to fix that as it. we're... <laughs> <laughs> trying to fix that as we're talking here, too. Um but yeah, and you had all that going on, and I wonder if it didn't just totally uh, screw his impulse control into the ground, especially. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, and how it affects you depends a lot on, you know, what area of the brain gets whacked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in impulse, it would be the uh, frontal lobes, particularly. But, um, you know, and then Perry Smith also has kind of an interesting background when you look at it. His parents were rodeo folk. Okay. And they were really kind of famous in that circuit. Um, His dad was a white guy and his mother was an Indian. And um, ultimately... With that, I forget what it was that really precipitated it, but maybe she was promiscuous beforehand as mother, but she apparently invited a bunch of sailors over to their house when the dad was away. Hold so on, there's no do? sailors in Kansas? <laughs> <laughs> well, this isn't in Kansas right oh, okay. now. We're talking about, I think it was um, Anchorage, Alaska, when oh, they were up there. That makes more sense. <laughs> um, yeah 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 michelle i do apologize i am just now getting on there and i think i'm able to comment now let's give it a shot um yeah <laughs> i don't know what is up with my technology tonight it's just horrible there we go now it's showing up yeah but um yeah that happened up in um anchorage and apparently his dad, you know, basically drove them away and 
he had um, some issues with alcohol himself and started beating the mother. Um, and that is when she took Perry and went to San Francisco. And a short time after that, the father was um, incarcerated. And basically from there, it just went even more downhill for Perry. And he ended up in a uh, Catholic school where he suffered quite often from aneurysmus. So one third of the triad of sociopathy right there. Suffered from which again? Bedwetting. Aneurysmus. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, uh, call it bedwetting. Jesus. We're not scientists here. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you had that, and he told the story to a good buddy of his who was a character witness for him at his trial. Yeah, It was an army buddy because he served in the army in Korea, although he really didn't see any action, and that's where you got to know this guy. But he was telling the story to him about how the nuns would beat him something unmerciful at this school over his bedwetting. Ugh. And in fact, he Fucking still had gosh. a scar on his penis from where apparently they um, damn near severed it. What? Yeah. From the punishment. Ostensibly for, you know, bedwetting. You know, if priests and nuns weren't part of a church organization, the shit they did would get so many of them thrown in jail. Oh, Absolutely. I mean, it happens with a lot of, not excusing Catholicism, but it does happen with a lot of denominations. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, it's horrible any way you look at it, you know? And that's a whole other rabbit hole about yeah. how they cut it up, too. Yeah, that's a, that's a show in itself. Yeah, I mean, it really is. But, um, so, how does a rodeo guy, rodeo family, end up in Anchorage? That's a little, I don't know that you know the answer, but it's kind of curious. It's not, I don't think there's a lot of rodeo in Alaska. Maybe there is. You I don't know, know. <laughs> not to my knowledge. I'm not sure how, honestly, they got up there, but they did live there for a time. Hmm. Um Maybe it would have something to do with the mother's heritage. That Maybe. could be. But, um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. So that, you know, is basically Perry Smith's history. From there, he turns into, you know, a petty thief. And allegedly, he tells Dick Hickok when he met him that he killed a uh, black guy in 55 over something minor. But there's really no proof of that. He's basically was he black. Was he just making shit up to impress him? Is that the the thinking? Yeah, I mean, basically with that, and it's because of that that Hickok decides to take him along when they get out of prison hmm. to go and rob the clutters. Okay, because he had just um, gotten off of a five year stretch for stealing guns and trying to pawn them in Kansas City. So, which one, Smith? Uh, Hickok. Hickok. Okay. Yes. 
that's part of the petty crime. And like I said, a lot of uh, check kiting was his big thing. You know. So there's nothing, there's no background for either of these guys that anybody, any reasonable person would say is a predictor of what was going to happen. Um, well, I mean, there is, you know, uh, I think you could find that in there. Really? To, I mean, to get them into, you know, um, petty crime and then it ultimately escalating to what happened in Holcomb. I did think um, with Well, Hickok, I mean, the, the home invasion, uh, yes, but not the murders, though, right? Oh, well, yeah, I guess you could say that about the murder part. Yeah. Um, and when you get to the confessions with that, Hickok allegedly wanted it done purely as a way to wipe them out as witnesses. Mm -hmm. But even that rabbit hole gets a bit deeper as we'll um, get to with that. All right, but... let's, let's do. Let's get <laughs> well, down that rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're getting there. Um, right. So it's you know, November 15th. They um, make their way to the house out there after they had heard about it. They um, gain entry through an office door that was, as we said, unlocked with... Holcomb being Holcomb, um, you know, everybody knowing each other. Right. And they find Mr. Clutter in the By house. By the way, in case people find this, I mean, you hear about it, but it really was the case. People didn't lock their doors, especially in the rural areas, because yeah. you just didn't have anybody. Strangers just didn't come by. It just didn't happen. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, they really, they didn't. You People literally knew everybody around them there. Yeah. But, um, yeah, they make their way in there. They find Mr. Clutter, and they um, ultimately, you know, tie him up and question him about this safe that they think is in there. And he says, I haven't got a safe. And he ultimately gets to, with it... Saying, if I had one, yeah, you would uh, have it. I would give you the money, no problem, to basically get you out of here. Right. So you know they keep they keep trying, basically interrogating him. So he's not um, defying them. He's not belligerent. No, in fact, um, I believe it was. It said it was a kindly gentleman. Was the quote? Okay. His exact quote was something to the degree of. He was a kindly gentleman until I slit his throat, or I thought he was a kindly gentleman until then. Um, so, you know, after that, they go and they get Bonnie Clutter out of bed, and they bring her down to where the husband is at, and she tells him the same thing. We haven't got a safe. And that by now, Perry being a little bit more, I think, of a savvy guy and a little bit more controlled, is starting to say, well, Dick, maybe they're telling the truth here. Maybe they really don't have a safe. But Hickok is adamant about it. So what do they do? They find out who else is in the house. They go and they wake up the 15-year-old, Kenyon Smith, the 15-year-old son, 
and uh, bring him down there and, you know, ostensibly mm-hmm. ask the same question. And still, Dick is on this kick about it. You have to, they have a safe, they have a safe, they have a safe. So they go and they get Nancy, 16 year old Nancy Clutter, okay. out of her room, bring her down, put them all in the bathroom. And I would assume she says the same thing. They haven't got a safe. And all the while, um, one of them is going through the house looking for money, looking for valuables. Um, and ultimately, all they found in the way of that was about 50 bucks and then um, a pair of binoculars and a portable radio, which I'm not totally sure why you would take. Oh, I mean, to I listen, think... listen for the news. <laughs> What, but if you're there to rob, I mean, I would think that maybe Mrs. Well, Clutter portable, had like a little so, bit of jewelry. So, so, th- so this was, again, what year was this? 40, 58, 59? Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this is, a, this is 1950. So a portable radio was... Kind of a valuable thing in those days. Would it have been a higher dollar good? Absolutely. Something they could pawn? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. They were not all that I common just... in, in that at that time. Not until the, not until the space uh-huh. program made the transistors cheap did they come down in price. Well, there you go. I guess it, I guess it's just weird. Right. Well, I, I mean, think that'd be the first thing they would grab. Maybe, I would think it, maybe it, like um, jewelry, like I said, maybe guns. Right. Or, you know, I don't know. Well, a farmer would have had a shotgun at the very least. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely would have had something there. Yeah. But, um, yeah, they um, had them all in the bathroom. And Dick, according to Perry Smith's confession during all this, is getting more and more frustrated and you have to remember that hickok basically brought perry along because he thought okay if i have to have somebody killed Mm -hmm. this is the guy to do it right so he's got experience right right so ultimately what they do is they decide to segregate them Mm. they take um bonnie back up to her bedroom tie her up that's the daughter nancy back up to hers which one's yeah yeah, the mom and the daughter yeah they okay yes separate bedrooms their bedrooms okay and then um after binding both of them they have herb clutter in the cellar along with Kenyon, but again in different rooms down there okay i think we had some pictures of that um i think it's time to trot those out yeah. And ultimately what they do is Perry Smith slits the throat of Herb Clutter. And then he hands the knife to Dick and says, Dick, you got to do your part now. Mm. But apparently what Hickok did with that was just stuck the knife in the same hole that Perry had made. Okay. But, um, but after that, Smith picks up the shotgun and ostensibly he says again in his confession that I um, picked it up to put him out of his misery mm. because Herb hadn't died yet. 
and he shoots him. And in fact, the um, quote with that, again, for it, he talked about seeing a flash of blue light and then seeing Herb's head explode. Hmm. Else is dark. The only light at this juncture is flashlights they have. That's it. Okay. But they do that to Herb and then move along to um, Kenyon, who's also dead from one 12 gauge wound to his head. Wow. Then, according to um, Hickok's confession, up to um, Nancy's room. And she was interesting because she was the only one who was posed on her um, stomach and the back of her head. So she was shot basically um, execution style in her bed. Wow. All the others were face up. Um, and then they moved on and they did the same to Bonnie, but face up. And then they um, left basically. 50 bucks in their pocket. That was it. And a radio. And, well, yeah, radio and binoculars. Um, it is interesting because their bodies were found on a morning by um, friends who were curious when nobody was answering at the house and um, nobody was. That is when they knocked on the door, nobody was answering. Mm -hmm. But cars were in the garage. And when they went over to another house that had a phone and tried calling in, nobody was answering. Um, what day of the week was so, this, did this happen? I, I don't think you mentioned. It's a Sunday when they found the body, Sunday the 15th. All right, so it was a Saturday night. So mm -hmm. people might have missed them at church, for example. Yes, that was a big thing with it. Um and they ultimately decided that they were going to go into the back of the house. So they let them through that door. And mm -hmm. um, a couple of the daughters of, I believe it was the Ewalt family was the name. The yeah. uh, father, Roy Ewalt, had brought um, his two daughters over ostensibly to get the clutters and go to church. Um the daughters ultimately go in thinking, okay, maybe they're sleeping really hard. Right. And get their way up to Nancy's room. And they find blood splatter on the wall. And they find her in bed. They rush out and they go and they get the sheriff. And he walks through there. And to his credit, one of the first things that he decides to do is go and get a guy by the name of Alvin Dewey who we um, have his picture in there. He was a uh, churchmate of Herb Clutter and the okay. Clutter family, so he knew them personally. But he was also a detective with the Kansas Bureau of Investigation. Oh. So this guy... Man, what a smart move. With, yeah. I mean, he's not a Keystone cop. Right. Um, and he... And evaluates the scene. And one of the things that one of the interesting observations I thought he had, and it's really as far as like the um, earlier uses of what could be called a profiler's logic, mm -hmm. 
was looking at how Nancy was positioned. And so what Dewey reasoned was whoever did this could look the rest of the family in the eye as they killed them, but they couldn't do that with her. Hmm. It had to be somebody who knew her or thought they knew her. And um, where that led them first was to her boyfriend, a guy by the name of Bobby Rupp, which, you know, I'm sure with any investigation, that's likely where it's going to go. Who knew him first? Right. But um, he was cleared because he had an alibi. Um, But what's interesting is Dewey's logic there still applies if you look at Hickok and Smith. Because Hickok later admitted in his confession yeah. that he knew there was a girl there. And this oh, guy has a he history. Because he worked Dewey. there. No, 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 no. It's the, he was talking to um, the other guy who worked there. And he knew they had a daughter. Okay. Hickok knew that. And come to find out, Mr. Hickok also has a history of pedophilia. Oh, One of his wives was 16 when he married her. And while he was with this wife, he knocked up a 13-year-old. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. And he later said in his confession that I basically the reason he kept pushing on the safe was because he knew the girl was there. That was his main drive for going. Oh, he wanted to see the girl... And, oh, by the way, there's money. Yeah, basically. Wow. So I think you could argue, ultimately, this was not a um, robbery. It was a sex crime. But nobody was raped, right? No. He wanted to rape Nancy, but it was actually Perry who talked him out of it. Hmm. Perry, I don't know how much you can believe this part of it, but he said that he was ready to fight him. If he tried to do that, I don't well, know why, you know, would... even among criminals, there are a bit of a code of honor. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> pedophiles are not thought of even amongst criminals are not well thought of and rapists oh, yeah. in general. Absolutely. I mean, they get a horrible time behind bars next to really just police right. who are behind bars. But, um, yeah, that, you know, ultimately became, I think, the real motive there. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I hadn't heard that before. Yeah, and I don't think a lot of people really knew that. I mean, even when you had um, Truman Capote and Harper Lee mm-hmm. coming in to start their research for what would become In Cold Blood, um basically the novel that started the American obsession with true crime. Once you get down to it. Right. Um, Yeah. It was interesting. I didn't know that uh, Capote and Harper Lee were actually neighbors in Alabama. What? Yeah. They grew up basically right next to each other. Oh, that's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, and it also being uh, shortly before, she published her Pulitzer Prize winning novel to kill a mockingbird. Um, but they get there and, you know, Capote, he's kind of an abrasive guy. Um, for instance, he told Dewey 
um, Alvin Dewey when you first met him that I don't care if the case is solved. I just want info. Hmm. It's like, and you know, to me, it's like, why are you going to say that to the lead investigator? If you want info, you know, just, (laughs) yeah. Well, he spent a lot of time in New York, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he also spent a lot of time on the gossip pages of the various New York newspapers because of his exploits. Um, Capote did. So he was, uh, he was used to being abrasive and having it just be a matter of course. uh, Yeah. You know, personally, I think as a journalist that sometimes you have to be a bit abrasive, but to me, it's a whole other level to be kind of stupid abrasive. When you're telling the um, lead investigator you don't care if it's solved or not. Yeah. Because it's kind of counterproductive to say that. Well, it doesn't make for a good story either. (laughs) So there's that. He should very much care if it gets solved because it's a better story that way. Mm -hmm. So short-sighted in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, in a lot of ways. And yeah, Michelle says he, um, from what I understand, he wasn't really well-received in Garden City and Holcomb. No. No, he wasn't. And they (laughs) do like I said, was rather turned off initially. But um, Capote and Harper Lee actually managed to sort of work their way into Dewey's good graces. Um, And because of that, they were ultimately with him when they got the uh, call from Las Vegas PD that, hey, we see these two guys you've been looking for. And... um, Interestingly, the way that they were caught with that was kind of different because they were hitchhiking and driving all over the country. And ultimately what they did when they um, went for, when they hitchhiked from Mexico to Barstow, California, they had all the shit that they were carrying with them sent to themselves in oh, Las Vegas. They mailed it. Yeah. Okay. They mailed it, and that was what tipped the police off. Uh, so, all right. So, where did these guys go after the murders? What was their... after? I, well, like I said, really all over the country. They talked about being in um, Florida, South Carolina, and even down into Mexico. Uh, Phoenix was one. They stole a car in Iowa. Um, but ultimately where they ended up when they were arrested was Vegas. Okay. So this couldn't be considered the start of a spree killing because they didn't, they weren't ever, you know, considered for other murders around the country or anything. Right. Actually in 2013, they alleged they were, um, alleged, to have been involved in murdering a family in Cirrus. In where? In um, Florida, Sarasota, oh. Florida. Oh, Sarasota, okay. Yeah. And um, apparently they had enough probable cause to exhume the uh, bodies of Perry really? Smith and Dick Hickok. I was just bringing that article back up. It was one I saw on the Wall Street Journal. So when they exhumed him, what were they after DNA? 
I think so. Yeah. But um, yeah, I was just looking to see if I could bring that back up because I didn't see if anything came of that. Whether they um liked him and considered the case solved or what have you. In the you. comments, Michelle says that she heard that they, there was not a match. Oh, okay. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you for your other contributions, too, throughout. Yeah, um, and Jesse in the comments, thanks for being a smartass. <laughs> yeah. That's we what we've come it. to expect. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, ultimately, you had a, uh, like I said, a um, shrink who looked at both of them. The guilt was beyond question. So what the defense's strategy had to be based pleading insanity for that. And the shrink who looked at him was, like I said, genuinely intrigued with um, Dick Hickok and his organic brain injury. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it, I would guess that the, uh, the diagnosis was something like that would be acquired psychopathy which you don't see that often but you do see you know right yeah there has to be some to where some causal effect uh i mean some, something causes somebody to have that happen to them it's not just something you grow into for example so right. like well not, not typically like sch schizophrenia where you know you get to a certain age and it just happens to you Right. And that would be the acquired part of that. Right. What you're saying. Yeah. Um, which he, you know, he had those findings with Hickok and then with Perry Smith, it was a little bit more interesting. He said that he had a paranoid streak and that quote, his fantasy life bordered on delusion. Hmm. So ba essentially what he said, Perry Smith was, was a borderline psychotic. Um, but interestingly with the trial, they got their shrink up on the stand. And the only question that the judge would allow them to ask was, did these guys know right and wrong when they committed the crime? Interesting. And, yeah. And so the shrink was forced to say with Dick Hickok, I believe he did with Perry Smith. I'm not so sure. Was essentially his answer. So. Yeah, and that trial ultimately ended, and the jury was only out for uh, 30 minutes and gave him the death penalty by hanging, which we actually have a uh, picture of the gallows that both of them were hung on. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be coming around in the slideshow in a, in a second. Yep. So how right. how long were they? You know, this was the kind of the uh, this was before the the big uh, anti death penalty and prisoner rights reform started coming along. It when you know the distance between a sentence in a in a execution could be days in some cases 
initially they had it set up for about 90 days after the uh, verdict, which was 1960. Okay. Um, particularly Hickok when he was behind. Oh, you and the like really invoked his rights with that. Yeah. And ultimately it was April 14th, 1965 when both of them were hung. So by today's standards, that's still pretty fast. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Five years seems like, uh, like nothing in the and that's definitely modern pretty quick. age. Hmm. But yeah, yeah, I honestly, I don't know if it would have even um, stretched out that long if it wasn't for him doing that writing. So there's been a lot of media generated over this, uh, this one case. Yes. Uh, Starting with, like we said, Capote's book, really. Well, in the headlines of the day, too. Um, then in 1967 is when the first movie of that came out, the black and white movie with actually uh, Robert Blake yes. as uh, as Perry Smith. And that's a pretty good ma- that's a pretty good match, I got to say. Well, it's, it, you mean because of his um, attributes and how he looks? Yeah, oh, yeah. It's also a pretty good match because Blake himself was charged with murder. Yeah. In the 90s. I don't remember. That he, I thought he got out of that. Let he me, was found let me not look guilty. that up. But I remember it was a bit of a circus. Now, my understanding was that Robert Blake was a pretty smart fellow. Uh, pretty above average IQ. Mm-hmm. And... But his trial seemed to be a bit of a circus. I would imagine um, on both of those counts, definitely. Uh, you know, as it tends to be whenever there's a celebrity who is on trial, because that was what the late '90s, early 2000s. 2001, you know, by then, it looks like. Yeah, and by then, you know, Blake had made his mark in. In Cold Blood, uh, the lead character on Beretta yeah, for that's, years. That's where most people know him from. He was. He also did a cop movie, um, Electroglide in Blue, where he played uh-huh. a motorcycle cop. I have to watch that. I haven't seen that one. But, yeah, you had that movie. You had this remake of In Cold Blood, which I honestly had never seen or heard of until... He was acquitted, um, by the way. Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I thought so. And then you had uh, Capote with the late Philip Seymour Hoffman, which told the story of how they uh, wrote and researched In Cold Blood. I didn't know that To Kill a Mockingbird was connected to this case. Yeah. Yep, Harper Lee was the uh, research assistant, basically. For Capote. Oh, I did not know that. Throughout. And, you know, I wonder if she might have been a little bit more um, socially minded, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. than he was. Maybe acting as a sort of bridge with that. 
as it were. Ah. Um, yeah, people <laughs> on this show know a bit about my penchant for collecting uh, old autographed books, and an autographed copy of In Cold Blood is one I've been after for a while. So we'll see if I ever manage to find one. Yeah, there you go. That could be uh, uh, that could be a good find to get. Oh, Michelle says one of Lee's characters was based on Capote, but she's not totally sure which one. That is a good question. I was just reading a bit about um, Harper Lee's lost novel the other day, too. Which is interesting in and of itself. It's about a uh, lawyer down in Alabama and a um, family which has a rather bizarre history of murder, suicide, and mayhem. Okay. Um, the family, I think, was pushing to get that released, too, but they just never did. Well, when things are left up to errors, a lot of errors occur. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I'm not sure about the dynamics from Harper Lee's estate with that either. Man. But I, I thought the family had a lot of the notes that she produced on it, too. If you've never been involved in inheritance, people get really weird. Mm-hmm. They really do. People you think you know really well start acting very strange. Oh, I am sure, man. I've never been involved in it myself, but I was just looking to see. Um... Oh, here we go from The Guardian. I'll share the link in the chat. Okay. The real story behind Harper Lee's lost novel. Because it was bizarre, I remember. Uh like I said, I'm doing this with one hand, which I usually don't do because I'm having no, to no, no, no. We don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> having to hold the phone and not use oh. my uh, headset like I usually do. So, yep, that is it, and you know it. It's not really the most. And it's not really anywhere near the most um, disgusting or disturbing thing we've looked at on this show, but we should never forget what happened to these poor people. No. And, you know, there, I, I saw a, a, a very long documentary series about this little girl from England who disappeared in Portugal. Madeline McCann? Yeah. And how, you know, part of it talks about the case, but part of it also talks about the reaction to the case, uh, the media <laughs> side of things, and how much the media got involved and worldwide and all this shit. And I remember one of the journalists made a comment that, you know, trying to understand why does this case get attention and another case that seems very similar to it, it doesn't get attention mm -hmm. and their take on it was it's not so much about the person but how but the story around how you know how things happen what 
it's it's about what happens the circumstances of what happens in other words mm -hmm. you know um in this case the girl was kidnapped out of her out of the condo while her family was just yards away that's mm -hmm. that's the compelling part it's not that she was a little english girl although that didn't yeah that doesn't hurt so much but you know it's a interesting story about what happened yeah and they looked at it from the human interest side right. more than a lot of stuff and which so which i think and so in this Capote case did somewhat too yeah in this case you know this is a god-fearing church-going salt of the earth family that just gets wiped out mm -hmm. for no good reason so that's the that's the interesting part you know, it's uh, mm -hmm. it has a very similar thing to, you know, it's why do we know about uh, Velisca over mm -hmm. other axe murders at the time? Why do we know about, or in Lizzie Borden? Oh yeah, um, some stories stick and others don't in the imagination of the reading public. The the consumer side of things it needs mm -hmm. it needs a hook that gets people interested and it's not so much the people generally speaking when we're not talking about famous people it's about mm -hmm. how they went missing how they died and mm -hmm. and that's you know or in the, especially this case to the utter senselessness right of it right when there, when there wasn't even a safe there. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Right. Exactly. It's it's the strength of the story that makes a, a one case capture the imagination of the public versus another one. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and of course, it doesn't hurt that uh, mass media at that time. You know, this is when people started buying and you know tuning into tvs a lot more it was it was still ramping up um mm -hmm. i know my family of course we didn't have a lot of money it took us quite a while to after it, into the 60s before we got a television but so but it was grow it was a growing phenomena at the mm -hmm. time and that helped for sure Radio was going gangbuster still. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, and I hope it's never forgotten by people. Uh, for anybody who gets it, the Sundance channel, um, I personally watch mine through my Amazon Prime account, mm -hmm. but on the Sundance channel, they have a rather interesting series that was done by uh, Joe Berlinger of um, Paradise Lost fame that's okay. called Cold-Blooded, okay. and it's all about it. So, I've seen the, the 90s era miniseries. I wonder if that time. was the other one that I posted. Was that with Sam Neill? Yes. Okay, that was the poster that I got. Okay. And that is available on Prime. 
Is it a good watch compared to the original? You know, it's been a while since I've seen either one of them, but I remember, mm-hmm. I remember liking them pretty well. Yeah, Anthony Edwards, oh. I think, is one of the. I think he plays Smith. I like him. He's a good actor, but yeah. uh, I really liked him, like in Zodiac, as a cop. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in the original is pretty impeccable in my opinion yeah but yeah. I, and like i said i haven't seen the i think uh, i think it let one i think black and white was the right call for that one too mm-hmm. absolutely yep richard brooks the director of that one all right anything else to to add for this um yeah i think we pretty much covered it uh i don't know if um michelle had anything else with that yeah i like the original better too definitely yeah absolutely and you know robert blake he was a he was a heck of a heck of an actor uh well you know what getting off a bit on a tangent you know what movie he's excellent in in my opinion what's that and i might be kind of crucified for it Uh oh david lynch's lost highway oh god lynch is such a weirdo (laughs) (laughs) robert blake is perfect as the mystery man in that but um yeah you're definitely right michelle it won't be forgotten around no. there or i think in a lot of um small towns it still reverberates with people um, well, thank you for your contributions to having somebody who was a local and also um worked in journalism in the area yeah let's talk to people really about nice. it um yeah we really appreciate you listening and contributing to that end uh, okay I think yep. we'll call this one good for tonight. I think so. Tune in next week. We'll have some more mayhem for you. Yep, when we figure out our topic for then, which right. we haven't done yet. No, we haven't yet. We'll 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 find <laughs> something. I don't think we've run we out will. yet. <laughs> no. <laughs> nope, shouldn't be a problem. Good all night, right. all. Good night.